Well, this evening I want to uh, jump back into the Psalms, and we're going to spend the next couple Sundays, and we're going to look at Psalms 1 and 2. And I thought that made uh, some good sense, uh, just to, to look there. So I want to consider uh, those Psalms uh, together uh, tonight. We're not going to start any kind of series in the Psalms, but um, for the next couple Sundays, I thought that would be a good fit. And then we'll not be meeting the, the following Sunday after that, uh, which is a fellowship uh, meal day. Uh, so that's kind of the schedule. We'll see how that schedule goes as we move along and keep uh, doing these uh, evening uh, gatherings. <coughs> gatherings, excuse me. Uh, so that's the plan. But let's look at Psalm 1 tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. And uh, then we'll look at Psalm 2 next week. Even though we're going to break them up, uh, really these psalms go together. And uh, it's important that we remember how they work together. It's a very important thing. And I really like this quote uh, from uh, a commentary on, uh, on Psalms. And it says that when Psalm 1 is read together with Psalm 2, uh, the synergy between these two pieces of poetry suggests that the true blessed man who meditates day and night on the Torah, in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, that this same man will be the king that the Lord has installed on Zion, his holy hill, in Psalm 2, verse 6. So there's, there's a connection between these two psalms. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. And that's what happens when we read them together. We see that the blessed man in Psalm 1, he is, he is the anointed one in Psalm 2. And we all are called to center our lives around him. So Psalm 1 divides humanity, it divides us into righteous and the wicked. Psalm 2 introduces the righteous one, the Messiah, and he shows the true pathway to righteousness, trusting in him, faith in Christ. So Christ, he is the righteous one. And we all likewise are righteous when we put our faith in him, we receive and put on the righteousness of Christ, and we follow in his footsteps. So that's what these psalms show us in a really interesting way. So let's dive into the first psalm. I want to read it for us, and then we'll talk about it. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1, it neatly breaks up into three parts for us, each uh, two verses at a time. So we're going to go through it in that order. So let's look at that. And first we see... This description of the blessed man and the juxtaposition of the righteous and the wicked. But first, we should ask ourselves what the word blessed means. The word blessed here, sometimes it's translated as happy, which is certainly part of it, but that doesn't capture all that's envisioned here. It's not just a, a temporal state of mind. It's not just something that's in the, in the man's psyche. He certainly is happy, but it's more than just an, an emotion. And, it's in, in every way, holistically. Uh, body and soul, this man is blessed, and he's blessed by God. There's a, there's a whole life meaning here. And this same word 
is used at the end of, of Psalm 2. And if you scroll down or look there quickly, you see it in verse 12, Psalm 2. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Well, who is the Him? Well, Him is the, the Son, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Lord, the King. And so we get to see this, this bigger picture here. That in some way, this, this true and, and lasting happiness, this blessedness, it comes through God's blessing in the person's life that's directly related to whether or not that person is taking refuge in the one whom the Lord has anointed, in Christ, the Son of God. So we'll, we'll see that, we'll consider that next week as well, but back to Psalm 1. So this is no mere happiness, it's not a simple mood change, it is a all of life, holistic. So what is this blessed, man, blessed man's, uh, what is his way of life? What leads him to this state of being? And we see his life consists, uh, first uh, it's described in three negatives, and then it's described in two positives. And so first we see these three negatives, and here we have some, some wonderful uh, Hebrew parallel statements again. So it says that this man is one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So those are the three statements. The blessed man is, is the one who does not walk, stand, or sit in the counsel, way, or seat of the wicked sinners or scoffers. That is the one who's blessed. This progression of, of walking, standing, and sitting, it's, it's a wonderfully helpful metaphor of, of our life and how life goes and, and how we can fall into sin. You know, I don't think any of us here or anyone, for that matter, uh, wakes up in the morning and thinks to himself, I'm going to sin greatly against God this morning. You know, that's usually not how, how it happens. But what usually happens is the person will start walking down the the wrong road. And then, then they'll, they'll come to something and they'll stand and consider uh, some sin, whatever it might be, instead of walking the other way until eventually, after standing and considering for a while, they, they take a seat and they plant themselves there. But rather, the blessed man is to be like Joseph who fled from Potiphar's wife. You know, he didn't walk up to sin, but sin walked up to him. And instead of standing and considering, he immediately turned the other way and fled. And that's what we must do if we are to be blessed by God. These words for, for wicked, for sinners, uh, for scoffers, these are also used throughout the wisdom literature and in the Proverbs. They refer to different classes or different types of fools, the, the fools who reject God. These are those who oppose God to their own destruction. And so here we see what the blessed man is not. He, he is opposed to these things. Those are the negative statements. But then we also see these positive, these two positive statements also in parallel to each other. The blessed man is, is not these things, but rather his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So that is what the blessed man does. He delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. 
Salah here, of course, referring to the book of Moses, the first five books of our, our Bibles, the Torah. Uh, but, uh, of course, by extension, refers to all of Scripture. It's all of God's revelation. All of it, including the Pentateuch, but certainly all of it. All of it is God's revelation of who he is and how he worked in redemptive history to accomplish the salvation of his people. And all of this is to be our delight, and certainly it is for those who are in Christ, who, who know and see the beauty of Scripture, that it all points back to him. And so we see that this, this man, he, he does love God's word. He, he meditates on it day and night. We see that, that phrase there again, that, this rhythm uh, that is so helpful, uh, morning and evening, day and night, constantly. Uh, God's people are those who, who have his words on their minds. And this word meditated has the idea of, of muttering to oneself, of, of murmuring in, in a, a good sense of the word, of, of, of having scripture on our lips, considering it daily, speaking under our own breath as we recite scripture to ourselves. That's the idea here. This man is blessed not because... He's made the Bible a part of his life, but he's blessed because he has centered his life completely around Scripture. And so everything else in his life are, is in orbit around Christ and around his word. That's the picture that we see of this man. Such a man is blessed. So that's the first part. We see the, the, uh, the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. That's the first section. But then we consider the, the next couple verses, verses 3 and 4, and we, we get another contrast and juxtaposition between fruitful trees and this, this fruitless, dry, worthless chaff. So the blessed man, he's a, he's a tree planted by abundant streams of water. He has plenty of nutrients. His roots grow, grow deep, and they're always well within reach of, of plenty of water. Life-giving water. It's reminded me, um, this afternoon I went out and watered our mums. Jess and I are trying to get some mums to grow, and we're having a difficult time, and it's mostly my fault, and I just want to make sure. It, and there's a couple reasons why. First reason is because of, of how they were planted, and I was the one who potted them. That's why I'm, I'm taking the blame. So the first part is they probably don't have enough soil. They're not getting enough nutrients that way. That's one reason why they're not blooming, or at least not growing. I still hope they'll bloom. The other reason is it's hard to get them enough water, I think, and I need to do a better job of watering them. So the question then is, what hope would a poor chrysanthemum have if it's lacking these things, bad soil and lack of water, let alone a tree, right, let alone the Christian who has starved and deprived himself and herself of the life-giving water of Christ himself, the, the life-giving, the nutrient-rich word that we are called to meditate on day and night. This is exactly what we saw last week when we considered Psalm 92. The righteous, they flourish as a tree because they're planted. And where are they planted? They're planted in the household of God. And that's the same picture we see here. This word planted in verse 3 can also mean to, to replant. And I love that imagery. It's a, the picture of a master gardener who can analyze the different plants and, and foliage, and he can diagnose what's needed, and he can take them from one place and put them into where they need to be. 
whether they need more shade, whether they need direct sunlight, whatever it might be, he can, he can uh, get them to the good soil, get them the nutrients that they need. And this is what God himself, this is what he does for us. As we reorient ourselves around his word, as we plant ourselves in his word, we plant ourselves there. That is who the blessed man, that is who the blessed woman of God is. It's the one who is planted firmly in the streams of living water of Christ and drinks deep of his word daily. But the wicked are not so. Such a sharp distinction. The wicked are not so, but what are they like? Well, they're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff, of course, is that debris and the, the casings from the seed and the grain uh, that's discarded. It's, it's thrown away. It's completely worthless. It's blown away by the wind. You know, just picture the, the size difference. It, it, it's kind of amusing to think. On one hand, we have this, this well-watered, giant old oak tree. Huge. Big enough you can't reach your arms around the circumference of it. And then on the other hand... We have this small amount of chaff, and we consider the two and how they're so different, and we consider a strong wind that would blow. What would happen to this tree that has deep, sturdy roots deep into the ground? What happens when the strong wind blows against that tree? Certainly it might bend, it might shake in the wind, but it stands strong. But the same wind to a, a pile of of weightless chaff on the ground, what happens to it? Well, of course, it immediately is blown away, never seen again. That is the picture painted for us between the fruitful man who's put his life around the word and the the fruitless wicked, the chaff that is blown away. And finally, verses 5 and 6, the psalm, it concludes for us, turning first, now to the destination of the wicked. Therefore, it says, the, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Those standing in the way of sinners in this life, they have no hope of standing in the day of judgment. They will have no place in the congregation and the assembly that God is bringing together of his righteous ones. But God knows the way of the righteous. He knows them, and the way of the wicked will perish. And so in the final analysis then, there's only two kinds of people in this world. It's those who belong to this congregation of the righteous and those who have placed themselves among the ranks of the wicked. And so at the end then, this psalm, it brings us into a, a, an eternal perspective uh, this, this, this day that's pictured must be the last day when Christ returns, when he comes to judge the living and the dead. And in that day, blessed is the man truly who is righteous before God. And so how can we be made righteous? How can we be fruitful like a tree that's planted by streams of abundant water? It is not so much that we rededicate our lives to faithful study of God's Word. As important as that is, and as much of an application as that is for us as we hear these words, that is true. But even more so, 
It is trusting and believing in the man who himself is righteous and blessed and the one from whom all blessings flow. That's what we ought to see when we consider this first psalm, that Christ, he is the blessed man. He is truly the one who delights in the law of the Lord. He is the one who has made it his life's meditation and his purpose. And he is the the life-giving stream of living water. I love how John 4, it, it captures both of those things perfectly in that chapter. Right away in that chapter, uh, Jesus is with the Samaritan woman and says to her that everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, pointing to the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Those are the waters that we need to be planted by, do we not? And then later in that chapter, his disciples are urging him to eat something. They're always looking out for Jesus. You know, I, I love that about them. They're, they always have his best interests in mind, at least uh, they think they do. And he tells them that, no, it's okay. I ha- he has some food that they do not know about. And they wrestle with this. I, did you see him pack any food? I didn't see him bring any food. What, what, what's he talking about? Until finally he tells them plainly, and Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That is what it means to meditate day and night on the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God that in Christ we are counted among the righteous and members of that great congregation of God's people. Truly, then, when we are in Christ, we are more blessed. So let's consider him when we look at this psalm. Let's consider this Christ that we serve, and let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. You have truly blessed us with every spiritual blessing, and we are blessed men and women indeed. May you be with us the rest of this evening as we lift up our prayers to you and our petitions. Lord, may you be gracious to meet with your people tonight, and we pray this all in your mighty name. Amen.